So yeah, let's, let's do a show before before we uh, have to evac because the mob gets too big and pushes through the gates. And... Good idea. All right, here we go. Today is Sunday, October 4th, 2015. Holy crap, it's October already. And this is episode 134 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hey, Jerry. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? Good. On Friday, I played hooky and went and did some photography at an air show, so that was fun. Hey, that's pretty cool. It was a crappy, crappy weather day, but that actually resulted in some neat, neat photos. Uh, so, I, I bet. Good. So, so that was good, and uh, now we're here. Good deal. Yeah, I've uh, I've been spending lots of time on planes too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I feel for you. So uh, just a reminder, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. So, um, by the way, just um, you know, kind of a last-minute final recap at DerbyCon. The the all of the conference talks are posted now. So, if you're interested, you can watch hundreds of hours of talks. Now I have to find the time to actually do that. I always want to, but it's not finding the time. I agree. To actually, sit down and watch the talks. It seems like a great idea. I'm like, oh, I'll catch them on video later, and then I never find the opportunity. <laughs> Maybe maybe I can convince my boss to let me do it at work. It seems work related. I seem I it's definitely work related. So uh, so anyhow, uh, we have a uh, at least I have a, a personal commitment. So I'm going to kind of scoot along. So we'll jump Which into is our... his subtle way of Andy. Shut up! Stop making jokes! And let's get to our stories. Yeah, more or less. All right, that's good. It's good that you can read between the lines. So, anyhow, our, uh, uh, by the way, uh, kind of in relation to this first story, I do want to take a minute and just express to our listeners uh, and remind everyone that the uh, the privacy of the data of our listeners is of paramount importance to the uh, the personalities, producers, stagehands, lawyers, HR, I mean, the, the, the cast of thousands that put on the Defensive Security Podcast all uh, deeply regret the unfortunate act, uh, activities of this past week. It's true. That's true. In fact, we take this so seriously, we actually fired two guys last week for leaving just somebody's name on a piece of paper in a visible spot. That's true. That is true. We don't, we don't play. We do not play. Clean desk policy is very, very tightly enforced here at the Defensive Security Studios. And, uh, well, I don't know what to say. So um, that takes us into our first story, which comes from Ars Technica. And this, the title is, Patreon was warned of serious website flaw five days before it was hacked. So this is a follow-on story to the main story, which was that Patreon, who as I mentioned, is the uh, the organization that handles donations for many, uh, you know, many non-profits and musicians and artists and things like that. Uh, 
anyhow, their database was in, uh, in, in, including us. In, in, yes, including us. Which we love our donors. Thank you. Yes, and, and by the way, I, I do want to, I do want to just express gratitude because even since this, we've gotten a few new donations. So, uh, I, I want to express deep thanks to everyone who has donated and uh, continues to donate. It, it, it's tough because we we swing from being snarky and sarcastic to incredibly sincere when we say that. So, I know that we yeah. may sometimes sound like we're being snarky, but we really it, I, that was uh, sincere. It was. Uh, everything and, we're about to say now is snarky. So <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> anyhow, um, the, here's the deal. that Patreon apparently has, a uh, as, as many organizations do, a development version of their website. And apparently this development version of their website had uh, had their live data, had a copy of their live data, and uh, used this... Uh, WorkZoog utility library, which allows developers to uh, t- to do some, you know, I guess aggressive debugging, as I'll as I'll term it, and uh, in in the process, it will allow a developer the ability to execute code, right? So you can you can tell the system, the web server, to execute arbitrary code and. Uh, it, it appears, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but it appears that uh, what what happened here is that this uh, some attacker leveraged that, that utility, uh, very likely uploaded a web shell, and then copied off the contents of the server, which included um, apparently all the source code in the database, which totaled uh, 13.7 gigabytes, and then subsequently posted it online. So uh, that included things like names, I guess addresses, although that's not very clear to me, email addresses for sure, uh, encrypted passwords, although their passwords apparently are are bcrypted, and I know you want to talk about that. Um, but uh, apparently no payment information was, was uh, exposed. So not entirely sure w- what was different about the, the payment handling, but there you have it. So, um, I, I I don't think credit monitoring has actually been offered yet. <laughs> well, I've got it from thirty other organizations. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, this week on the show is really it's a breach of Palooza. Uh, we've got four different breaches to talk about. Uh, but it's interesting comparing and contrasting, and Patreon did a very good job of coming out and, and releasing a lot of technical details. Uh, lots of comments come to mind uh, about this, and first of all, the original story uh, certainly bad, and, and you know we'll, we'll talk about that. But the, the follow-on story, which is, oh, we were they were warned of this serious web flaw by what was the name of the guy? Detectify, a Swedish security firm that they had picked up that Patreon was running this live web app um, uh, using, uh, you know, basically the Shodan search service. Oh, by the way, there's thousands of other websites that also have this exposed. Uh, and they warned Patreon. And so kind of the, the, the implication behind this story coming from ours is, oh, why didn't Patreon fix it when they were warned about it? And, you know, my first comment on that is, there's a whole lot that goes into why companies do things. And it's not as simple as just flipping a switch. 
So having been on the other side of this many, many times, I get a lot of solicitations almost daily of, oh my God, dude, your stuff is so unprotected. You are so vulnerable if you don't buy my crap. Uh, and it's tough to know what is a legitimate inbound security report and a sales guy being a sales guy. Fair point. And, and shoveling FUD. So I'm not trying to apologize for Patreon, but I'm saying that depending on how this notification came in, we don't know how it got sent to uh, Patreon. We don't even know if it was got to the right people, if it was reviewed. Uh, it could be that they knew about it. They're like, well, yeah, that's something we need to deal with. Okay, um, let's get a plan together. We don't know what their change control is like. We don't know what their planning process is like. Uh, there's a lot, you know, you can't just necessarily turn on a dime in a complex environment. Certainly once a breach happens, it's really easy to point back and go, wow, they were idiots. But when you're in a run rate and nothing has happened yet, you're like, well, yeah, this is bad. But in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but nothing's happened yet, so we'll get to it. But it's not, it's so much easier to have 2020 hindsight when you look at these situations and go, wow, were they idiots? They should have shut that down. But if it's been up and running like that for three or four years, and suddenly this happens, and then five days later it gets popped, it's very conceivable for me to see an organization not reacting in the time frame that they had. Yeah, there's there's a nuance in here that may partially explain their either lack of reaction or, or or slow reaction, and that apparently is that this uh, this tool, the the WorkZoog utility library, is apparently well known. I mean, I guess the the the, the group that writes it is pretty careful to caution you about what can happen with this thing. And, uh, and I, I, it's entirely possible that because this thing normally requires some kind of an authenticated, you know, some authentication challenge before you, you can interact with it. Uh, there, you know, I, again, I don't know this to be fact, right? But Patron may have said, well, you know, this is, something we'll deal with but apparently um what what maybe they weren't aware of is that if if uh an attacker or somebody um uh, you know somebody else is able to trigger uh you know a, a failure a fault in the web app and in, in other parts of the web app it will actually trigger this utility to kick in without the need for authentication and so i'm just wondering if you know, if if uh, if there was some consideration that oh, you know, that thing is authenticated, it, you know, we don't have to worry about that. It's we'll we'll fix it later. I don't know. Again, yeah, no, it's it's a fair point. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is they released a lot of info about their environment. They said that most of the user information uh, was encrypted with a 2048 RSA key, which is good and strong, uh, assuming they implement it properly. Uh, they also got into how the passwords were protected. And they said that they, uh, quote, we protect our user passwords with a hashing scheme called Bcrypt and randomly salt each individual password. Bcrypt is non-reversible, so passwords cannot be, quote, unquote, decrypted. Uh, we do not store plain text passwords anywhere. Okay, a couple of things on that. First of all, I appreciate that level of detail. Uh, it shows that they're thinking. They understand the difference between encryption, encryption and hashing. Uh, and they're also randomly salting each individual password, which is really important. Now, the fact that they are uh, 
saying it's not reversible. That's true. It's a, it's a non-reversible encryption, but it is not free of brute forcing. Uh, you could potentially brute force. So, but the the upside of this is, and and what I think is important here is that it shows that a, a certain level of breach resiliency in their design. And I think this is something that we as an industry need to get closer to, which is saying, okay, let's assume we're going to get breached. Let's assume somebody's going to get a hold of our database's information. What can we do assuming that a bad guy had access to this to make their life more difficult? And and I think that's an important kind of takeaway. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that we have to be we have to temper our enthusiasm a little bit because, um, you know, Ashley Madison also used Bcrypt, and uh, one of the one of the downsides, one of the things that can happen when you have a full take of the environment is, in I think in Ashley Madison's case, it was discovered that they they badly implemented Bcrypt, and subsequently were able to reverse uh, or brute force about um, eleven or twelve million. Oh, that's a great passwords. point. Yeah, uh, and. You know, the, the point that I think you're making that I think is important is how you implement this stuff is incredibly key. Yeah, yeah. And and the other, I think the other, uh, the other is, and we'll talk about this in uh, an upcoming story, uh, it's great that they did in, encrypt, you know, use, use some pretty strong, robust encryption for the, the more sensitive data. However, um, you know, if, if their code also has... A way to decrypt that, you know, i.e., there's a it, and just because the co- or the data is stored in a database in an encrypted state, the code has the ability to unencrypt that. And now, if I am able to copy your code, I can decrypt that. I didn't really buy much in this yeah. particular <laughs> case. It helps in like an SQLI type of attack, but doesn't help in this kind of an attack. So you got to really think. And by the way, I have no idea if that was the case in this uh, in this. Uh, situation or not, I, su- I suspect somebody at some point will will figure that out. Um, but it is something you really need to think about how how you know game this out, right? Well, the other two takeaways I had is why why would anyone have test servers open to the internet? Uh, you need to have a really really good reason to do that. So that's a good takeaway. Make sure none of your test servers are open to the internet, guys. Yeah, but and- agile, but agile DevOps, come on. Your mom is agile. Uh, and second, why are they using prod data in test? Why not have fake data? Agile DevOps. Yeah. Uh, breach, hack. Agile. Any, any other breach, hack, any any other buzzword? A- a- agile. <laughs> Did I say agile? But the point, the takeaway for me is, once again, just... Think for five seconds, what if this site got hacked? Yep. And, you know, that will inform so many decisions. <laughs> but it's tough for folks to think that way. I get that. But it's kind of the way we need to. Yeah. All right. I beat that one to the ground. All right. So, um, so yeah, let's move on to the next story. Um, this one comes from Krebs on Security. And it is also a breach. Scott Trade breach hits 4.6 million customers is the title. Um, there's a, a, a disturbing lack of any kind of detail in here, um, except that apparently the intrusion was in a period uh, between late 2013 and 2014, early 2014. 
And uh, they just became aware of this, I believe, back in August. And um, did some did their own investigation and found that, yes, apparently, indeed, people, someone had accessed contact information, apparently, of their 4.6 million of their customers, apparently not accessing any of the trading information or, um, you know, any, able to... Pro- uh, commit any fraud. The the hypothesis offered in in this and some of the other articles I read is that, you know, potentially this was done to uh, target spam to do you know pump penny stocks, something like that. Um, there is a there is something in here that's a little concerning. Again, uh, uh, the FBI notified Scott Trade uh, over a year after apparently it ended. So don't understand how that came to be. Uh, but th- also that um, this they apparently aren't the only ones, right? So second paragraph, in an email sent today to customers, St. Louis-based Scott Trade said it recently heard from the federal law enforcement officials about crimes involving the theft of information from Scott Trade and other financial services companies. So far, we've not really heard about any other financial services companies. So I'm guessing there are more shoes to drop so, um, you know, stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, you had a most main points. Uh, it's interesting that they didn't detect themselves. They were notified by law enforcement, the FBI makes you wonder what it is they're missing. Uh, and again, they said, Hey, our passwords are fully encrypted, but that's all they said. What does that mean? Were they hashed? Were they encrypted? How were they set up? Uh, you know, again, just being encrypted isn't good enough. We already kind of talked about that. That's right. All right, so moving on to our next breach of the day. This one comes from Wired Hack Brief. Hackers steal 15 million T-Mobile customer data, customers' data from Experian. Oh. And wow, is the T-Mobile CEO <laughs> upset? Yeah, he is. Uh, he's fit to be tied. It is. He's been a he's been a firebrand uh, for a while now. You know, he's kind of a non-conventional CEO. He's very sort of. I don't know, kind of vocal and and interesting character. Yeah. So so the the deal here is that Experian uh, processes, I guess, credit checks for people who are financing their their T-Mobile phones. Uh, I think it's just here in the U.S. And uh, 15 million of these people over a period of time had their you know their their information was amongst the pot of. Uh, Names, addresses, birth dates, and encrypted social security numbers, driver's license numbers, uh, passport numbers, and so on, uh, were were stolen. Uh, now, it's interesting that they also go on to say that those in, that encrypted data may have been decrypted by the attacker. And, uh, and this this kind of sounds a lot like the Excelis breach that we talked about, I think, two weeks ago, where you know, the data was, in fact, encrypted. And just like we talked about with Patreon, um, depending on how you implement that encryption, it may actually not do that much for you in, right. in how, how the breach plays out. And so, you know... It's, this, it's, this is the problem with just encrypt everything. Well, okay, you, you really got to think that through. Right. And and so that's, you know, going back to OPM, you know, their OPM took a lot of hell for not having their data encrypted but depending on how how that happened they 
the data may not have been encrypted relative to the person who was uh, stealing it. Or relative, yeah, because of the angle of exploit and compromise, whatever they may be coming in, what channel they may be coming through, may happily decrypt it for them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't encrypt your data needs to be encrypted, but it's a it's a bit more of a sophisticated and a complicated conversation to just say, oh, it's encrypted or not encrypted. How you encrypt it matters, but certainly encrypt it. Right. Yeah, and, and for instance, if you're you know if you're DBAs or or whatnot have the ability to decrypt it with their credentials, you know, through through some kind of transparent database encryption software, and and it's you know their credentials that get compromised and provide access to the database. Well, that encryption didn't buy you much. And by the way, that's how a lot of these attacks are being perpetrated. And and so I think the the, the net point is, you know, other than other than the uh, the T-Mobile CEOs very um, entertaining, I guess, for lack of a better word, response to this uh, is you you really need to kind of game out how your protection technologies line up against the way in which things are, you know, attacks are actually happening. And again, you know, it's great to encrypt. However, if you know if you're if, if you're putting the you know the encryption keys in your code and your code in the database gets stolen you not, you've not done anything and if you're encrypting it but your your administrative users have the ability to transparently decrypt it you know again and that's and they get attacked through some kind of phishing type attack you've not bought anything yeah. so you really need yeah. to think about it right your server has full disk encryption Okay. <laughs> you, you protect it against someone running in and stealing your hard drive. Right. right. Uh, not trying to dissuade people from encrypting, but think it through. Right. Right. So, um, of course, Experian, by the way, is offering credit monitoring provided by Experian. Um, and so... I, well, hey. I, different vision. <laughs> I found it interesting that in, uh, in, in on Twitter, the CEO... Um, of T-Mobile said some, something to the effect of, you know, we're exploring uh, we're exploring other providers of credit monitoring for you, for for the customers. So uh, he, he it sounds like he's you know, T-Mobile and Experian may not have a relationship for, for much longer. I'm I'm thinking would be my my takeaway. Uh, yeah, yeah, I imagine so. You know, the other thing that struck me too is uh, obviously we don't know exactly how this happened. Uh, but you would like to think that a company like Experian, who basically has you know all of the data about everybody in probably pretty much in the world, who who has some kind of financial presence, would protect their stuff a little better. I mean, because this is this is you know probably one of the most valuable concentrations of financial information there is, and this is now the second or third time they've been. They've had a pretty high-profile breach. On the upside, I mean, the one thing I'll give them a little bit of credit for is this was confined just to T-Mobile data in Experian systems, which tells me that Experian is segregating their data for different customers, which is a very good idea. Uh, think if it was commingled. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. It was $15 million and not $400 million. And a lot of companies commingle data, and they lie when they say, are you segregating it? Sure we are, right? Um, it's in a whole different table. Right. 
so that I think is a good takeaway. At least it isolated the breach to just T-Mobile's data. It could have been far larger, depending on, on you know how they got in. And we don't know a lot yet about this breach. We don't know how it happened. Uh, you know, do we even know how this became public? Was it was it a data dump? I didn't catch it in any of my reading. Um. I am not aware of how it came to light either. Okay. It may have been self-detected. I'm not sure, though. Stay tuned. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, So that's the other thing. Going back to the the topic we've been hitting on, you know, assume a box gets hacked. uh, How do you limit the lateral movement spread of of that hacker's actions? Yep, that's right. So... um, so moving on to our next story. This one comes from Time. And the title is Trump Hotel's credit card system has been hacked. So apparently uh, the the Trump Hotel group is not quite on board uh, with that, so, but they are investigating. And I'm sure that once their investigation concludes, they will provide credit monitoring to those impact, impacted, oh, right? And let's not forget, they will issue a press release that they take their customer security very seriously. And and that there was no evidence of inappropriate use. Clearly. But out of an abundance of caution, they'll be offering a year of free credit monitoring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, apparently, let's see... Uh, the, the, some of the other stories I read was apparently this was... Oh, there it is. Officials believe hackers use malware to capture sensitive payment information within the company's computer system between at least May 19, 2014 and June 2, 2015, warning anyone who stayed at the above locations during that time might have been affected. And that's uh, those locations, by the way, are New York, Chicago, Honolulu, Las Vegas, Toronto, and Miami. All really nice places to be. Um, just not use your credit cards at Trump, apparently. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, it's hard to say. You know, was it a was it a, a yet another RAM scraper type deal or or something else? Just given the pervasiveness of the RAM scrapers, I'm going to go. You know, the the smart money's probably on that square. But let's see what I did there. I did. I see. Yeah. I saw that. That was that was That's clever. Clever. Yeah. How's that working out for you? I don't know. Be, being clever. Pretty good, actually. Okay, good. Carry on, man. Yeah. So, uh, so our next story is um, from Fortune, and the title is "American Bankers Association Pushes for Stronger Data Security." Not to be confused with the American Bowlers Association, which is what I read when I saw ABA at first. Well, I, I could definitely see how that would be confusing. I, hey, you know, yeah, they uh, they have a hell of a marketing campaign. <laughs> that's true. So, um, yeah, the American Bankers Association. Um, it, very interestingly, has been a staunch lobbyist against, or I should say, in favor of uh, stricter regulations on retailers to protect um, their constituents, the banks, from you know the the unwashed masses of merchants who keep getting compromised, and uh, so apparently they themselves were compromised. Uh, their their uh, quote. Uh, checkout tool uh, or shopping cart tool was compromised in some manner and 
uh, 6,400 record names of or records of usernames, passwords, and uh, it's not clear if there were you know, credit cards uh, in that pot were were stolen. Uh, no technical details about how it happened. It's really more of an irony kind of story that uh, a group who is throwing rocks at uh, merchants to clean up their act uh, gets hacked. So I did review the data dump file that was involved with this, actually. Okay. And um, i got to be careful what I'm allowed to say here, but... Uh, the dump file I saw contained usernames, which were primarily email addresses, and clear text passwords. Nothing else. Wait, clear text passwords? Yes. Nice. And uh, some other folks on Twitter were sort of musing that this looked to be two-year-old data. Oh, so really? take that with a grain of salt. Interesting. Yeah. They were saying that when they had looked at some of this... Some of the accounts were no longer valid. People had left the organization, et cetera, et cetera. That gave them the sense that this was old, old info. Hmm. So I don't know how long they were sitting on this info. Don't know. Anyway, just I happened to glance at it. I happened to look at it as part of uh, uh, something else I was working on. And uh, Interesting. Yeah. All right. Our last story, uh, and I, I picked a different link than I sent you, so, but it's, it's the same story. This one comes from SC Magazine, and the title is R.T. Jones Reaches Settlement with SC, uh, SEC in Data Breach Case. So uh, the the deal is there's this, this um, investment company called R.T. Jones Capital Equities Management, and uh, they had, uh, I guess it was a couple years ago, uh, back in 2013, yeah, July 2013, they had the personal information of 100,000 people compromised. And uh, in the ensuing investigation, the SEC found that uh, they did not, they being JT jo- or R.T. Jones Capital Equities Management, did not actually have a security policy. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, as in a written security policy? Yes. Or, yes. okay. As in a written security policy. But does that mean they were not actually doing any sort of security or they just hadn't written it down? Well, we don't we don't actually know um, some of those more nitty-gritty details. But okay. So the SEC has, does levy some requirements on its covered entities. And one of those things is that they have to have a documented security policy. And uh, in this particular case, this company did not have it. And so they received a $75,000 fine, which, by the way, is less than a dollar per record. So that's quite the bargain uh, in, in my in my mind. Um, you know, I, I think there, you know, we're way past all of the credit monitoring. The credit monitoring, I assume, has already expired by now. Um, but, um, yeah, so I think the point is that we're, I think we're seeing – Kind of like we talked about in the last case, we're seeing um, a more, um, you know, more, more aggressive approach by regulators and, and industry groups trying to, uh, you know, trying to uh, improve security, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, of organizations like this through regulations and fines and, and things like that, and. Uh, I, more and more organizations are falling in the scope of those things. You know, this is this is not just you know HIPAA covered entities or 
people who are um, covered under PCI. This is, you know, the, this is really starting to develop. And I think it's, I don't really know where the end is, uh, but I would imagine, especially with, with uh, organizations like the FTC who have very broad reaching powers, you know, this is, um, it's very perilous not to take this stuff seriously. Now, in this particular case, not having a, a you know a documented security policy is pretty fundamentally bad, I guess. Um, you know, the the thing that w- would be interesting to me is if they did have a documented security policy and it still happened, would they still have been fined? Well, we don't we don't know that. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. Hey, we need to find them for something. Go find something to find them for. Right. We got to take know. take our pound of flesh. Right. Set an example, et cetera, et cetera. Not 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 to be that snarky about it, but that is how some of these regulators think. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, again, not a lot, not a lot of uh, innovative or or new stuff here, except that again, the regulatory domain is becoming more prominent. So um, the thing that, that struck me is I, as I'm reading this and, and thinking about the FTC and, you know, HIPAA and, and other, uh, other regulations and regulators is that when we, when we talk about IT security risk, we, you know, we, we often think about, you know, the, the risks are associated with being hacked and losing data and, you know, the, the cost of credit monitoring and lawsuits and things like that. Um, but I think less less common is considering the costs associated with non-compliant or being found non-compliant by a regulator and, you know, the ensuing fine. So you don't necessarily have to have something bad happen in every case. Uh, and, and, and so... I'm just kind of where my takeaway, one of my takeaways is that we need to start thinking from a risk perspective more about including regulatory action, both proactive and reactive uh, in our risk models. Yeah, I agree. And it's definitely starting to become a bigger and bigger issue uh, as we're seeing more and more. And uh, more and more government organizations say they want to get involved in this as well. So it's going to cause us to have to consider more of those costs in our risk models. And ultimately, does that then drive decisions that make things, certain business lines unprofitable for certain organizations? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's almost certain, certainly going to have an impact like that for some organizations. So anyway... More, you know, as, as, as that space develops, I'm sure we'll have more, more to talk about. So, uh, that's actually all the stories we have for tonight. And now I, uh, I get to go do my family stuff. Enjoy, have fun. Thank you. Yeah, before I fly out again for another week of fun in beautiful New York. We'll miss you. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, so anyhow, uh, if you like the show, give us some love on iTunes. For those of you who have, thank you very much. If you want to show support the show, um, you know we are still you know we're still committed to Patreon. We think you know that they'll they'll uh, they'll learn from their mistakes and uh, and and do right by their uh, constituents and customers. Uh, so, you know, thank you to those who have donated. And if you would like to donate, you know, 
please. It's very much appreciated. Uh, you can find the show notes, links to the stories we talked about on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callett on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And uh, with that, we'll call it a week and talk again next time. Thanks. Have a great week. As always, thank you for listening. Take care, guys. Thank you. just finished reading through the articles yeah that's always helpful it is, it is often and rare for me <laughs> uh but i uh i try um well, well, especially you know, that we appreciate mm, your uh we you yeah. and the mouse in your pocket no 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 me and our listeners i see so you speak for all of our listeners now every single one wow i have i have uh you know paperwork <laughs> I forgot to follow back up with you, but um, the next... Jesus, man. You know what? This lack of follow-up is unacceptable in this organization. <laughs> All right. Showtime. We got to get, get this over with so we can see the fireworks. Well, that's true. And it is wet here, so... I mean, I've already bribed a number of officials to ensure we can still launch the fireworks. I think what happened was, instead of clapping and wooing and whistling that society has deemed as a show of appreciation, we need to introduce um, polite hat-tipping very quietly. Oh. As... That's a good idea. The ideal show of appreciation going forward. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.